everybody. Hi. <laughs> I'm Ray. And I'm Charlotte. And this is the Midnight Record. The Midnight Record. A little low-key singing there. Yeah, very, very chill. Charlotte got her flu shot and her COVID booster, so she is yes, on the mend. <laughs> I am sleepy town Magoo over here, but like I was saying to you off mic, like luckily like the side effects of this shot were not nearly as bad as what I had. Well, I know it's also, like, I got the Moderna, so I know it's also, like, half the strength, Mm -hmm. which probably helps, but, man, that second Moderna shot, like, knocked me on my ass. (laughs) Yeah, I I actually heard a lot more people say that they were, like, down bad from the Moderna than the Pfizer, because I got the Pfizer and I didn't have anything, but... Yeah, I think, but, like, the, but I will say, like, I will take, like, 18 hours of discomfort from those shots and, like, I don't know, death. Yeah. Who who knows? I need, so, also, I was wondering, like, does it matter what booster you get? No, they, like, the CDC has specifically said that you you can essentially, like, mix and match if you want. So, like, if you want to get a full dose shot, then you can go get the Pfizer, Mm -hmm. but... If you want to, I don't know why I was just like, oh, let's just like keep it in the Moderna family. Right. Right. I mean, I don't know. I guess anything's better than nothing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So yeah. So it's a, uh, it's a little, it's a little sleepy Saturday over here. Um, and I'm wired over here. <laughs> I know. And I'm like, I'm, I'm like, like second coffee. Cause I woke up a little later and I have my coffee a little later. So I'm just back to back <laughs> railing. <laughs> It's like the juxtaposition. Yeah. Like, and you're like, I I'm can't like, move. No, I'm like, I'm ha- I'm very happy to be here, but I'm also like, <laughs> I'm giving you all the energy that I have. Well, lucky for you, I it's it's my case today, so I'll it be doing is. most of the talking, so you can just sit back, relax. Nice. Comment when you want, but I for the most part, relax. Say nothing. <laughs> um, it's very that. Yeah, I actually have no idea what you're doing. You haven't given me any clues. Well, I told you it was sad, (laughs) which is everything. No, like, particularly sad in comparison. So I assume it has to do with, like, kids then. Yes. Because, like, if it's that sad, then it has to do with, like, kids. Yeah. It has to do with a kid. It's unsolved. Been unsolved for, like, 40 years. 40-some, I want to say. Any clue? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Are you doing the boy in the box? I am. Oh, no! It's very sad. That's gonna be so sad. I know. Both of our episodes we're recording today are uh, sad ones. Very, very sad, for sure. All right. All right, well, all right. Well, you know, you know, I know, like, as I typically always say, it's like, I know, like, the outline of this yeah. case, but I don't know the details and I know that mm-hmm. there were some very interesting things that have come out like in years past like about this case. Right. So I'm curious to hear that but oh, the unsolved ones. Always. I know. You and your unsolved cases. I know. <sighs> the only thing well with some like I'm hoping with this one I really do feel like with the further like expansion of DNA analysis and things like that that this will get solved especially with like um like, at least, like, family ties they can find. For sure. And I think I think they're probably on the verge of that, but we'll see. All right, well. As of now, it's still unsolved. All right, well, I'm going to curl up and get ready to be sad. Yeah. <laughs> so sad. You know what? Speaking of, like, just knowing, like, the outskirts of the case and not knowing the fine details, I 
was watching Killer Instincts or something like that. Oh, yeah. It was about like the couples who kill together Is it or, on or something. Plus or? Yeah, I yeah. Love Dis- oh, love Discovery Plus. Me too. Um, Great. The episode came one about Colleen Stan, and I was like, oh, I know all this now. Like it was, yeah. it wouldn't have been because like we did the episode, mm-hmm. so I was like, I know all of this, but it was interesting to watch because like Colleen herself is in it like explaining oh, yeah I'll have to watch yeah. it yeah you ready yes I am all right here we go all right in February 1957 the body of a young boy was found in a box in a wooded area of northeast Philadelphia's Fox Chase neighborhood near the intersection of Verree and Susquehanna Road near Pennypack Park the box was just a regular cardboard box uh, and the boy actually He could have been found a bit earlier, but the first person who stumbled upon his body was a man named John Stashowiak. You know, you know us with with pronunciations. I'm sure there's a way to say it better. (laughs) Who was checking his muskrat traps used for hunting. Allegedly, these traps were illegal. So John decided against telling authorities about the body so he wouldn't get in trouble. I always, I hate it when cases are like that. It's like, why? Like you just, you just found a body and you're going to be like, oh, well, I might get in trouble for hunting. You know what they're going to do? They're probably going to do a slap on the wrist and say, thank you for telling us. Yeah, you showed us a a murder victim. Like, come on. Alleged. A few days later, on the 25th, a college student named Frederick Benoit was out when he allegedly saw a rabbit. Allegedly. This is his story. That he saw a rabbit, and knowing there were rabbit traps in the area, he began to chase it when he stumbled upon the young boy's body. Now, we don't know whether he was actually trying to save the rabbit, but what a lot of people think is that this was a cover-up story, apparently, and not what he was actually doing, because it was said that he was kind of known to be a peeping Tom and may have been on his way to spy on women at the Good Shepherd Home, which was a Catholic institution for wayward girls, and he didn't want to admit it, which, I mean, who would really admit that, but... Regardless, at least he told authorities. Actually, I think he told them a day later he uh, went home, but he said the guilt like wore on him. And he had saw um, on the news the next day that a little girl named Mary Jane Barker was missing from the area. And he was worried that it was her he had seen in the box. Mm -hmm. So that's when he decided to tell them. But regardless, I can't believe two people didn't tell authorities right away. Like. You just found a body in the woods. Yeah, it's just wild. Come on. Anyway, <clears throat> so he had informed police about the body. Upon arriving at the scene, authorities found the body of a young boy inside a box that had once held a bassinet. The box was originally from J.C. Penney's and was marked with furniture fragile, do not open with knife. The boy's body was nude and wrapped in a faded flannel blanket with a geometric multicolored pattern of diamonds and blocks in green, rust-colored red, brown, and white. Another piece of the blanket was found in the box covered with automotive grease. There's apparently a third piece or a section of the blanket still missing that they never recovered. The child appeared to be severely malnourished and likely beaten. The body was brought in for an autopsy and the medical examiner, Dr. Joseph Spellman, Philadelphia's chief medical examiner at the time, found several things. The body had been somewhat preserved by the chilly February weather, but it's thought that he had been been dead for about three days to two weeks before being discovered. 
He had all his baby teeth, so they think he was about four to six years old, although he weighed only around 30 pounds and was three foot three inches tall. He was extremely malnourished, as expected from the initial look of him. Uh, He had dark blonde, light brownish hair, a pale complexion, and blue eyes. And his hair seemed to have recently been cut, but not by a professional. The haircut was allegedly kind of odd-shaped and uneven, and short, freshly cut hair follicles were found on his body. And it was suspected that his hair was cut shortly before or after his death. He looked to have been recently washed, and his hands and feet were pruny as if they'd been in water. His fingernails had also been recently cut. He had seven scars, three of them could have possibly been from surgical procedures and two of these possible surgical scars were on his chest and groin the third was on his left ankle there was a one and a half inch scar on the left side of his chest and a round irregular scar on his left elbow also had an l-shaped scar on his chin he had several small moles on his body three on the left side of his face a tiny one right below his ear three small ones on his chest and a large one two inches above his right wrist the boy was badly bruised and beaten and his face had several abrasions as well as some fresh and some deep bruises on his body there was no evidence of any broken bones either fresh or previously healed His lips were dry and cracked. He was visibly emaciated to the point his ribs were poking through his skin and had sores around his eyes. And it seemed that he could have possibly suffered from a chronic eye ailment, which could have been the reason for the sores around his eyes, but it's not clarified what the eye disease could have been. He had no vaccination marks, so it was believed he he had not been vaccinated, which also led police and the coroner to believe that he hadn't been enrolled in school as children were to be vaccinated before attending school because very timely as everyone knows vaccinations have been (laughs) mandatory for a long time for a very long time (laughs) let's not even get us started (laughs) 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 anyway all right so his stomach contents identified that he may have eaten two or three hours before his death And his esophagus held a dark brown unidentified residue, which is thought to have possibly been vomit. The coroner confirmed that the cause of the little boy's death was blunt force trauma to his head. It's suspected he had multiple blows to the head to cause such trauma. They took fingerprints of the boy and they were sure he would be identified in no time. However, this wasn't the case. Although the boy did create a nationwide sensation once it was broadcast via police teletype, headlines called him the boy in the box. 400,000 flyers of the boy were handed out on street corners, hung in shop windows, enclosed in utility bills that were delivered to homes. Hundreds of leads came in, but none of them amounted to anything. Visitors from up to 10 different states tried to identify the boy, but one by one, they realized it wasn't who they were looking for. Mm. At one point, authorities even dressed the boy up in clothes and sat him up in a chair with the hopes that making him look more alive would help someone recognize him. And they checked hospitals. There was no record of him at any hospitals nearby. So either he was not from the area or... Like I said, some of the scars he had looked surgical. So they were trying to see, like, a match at one of the hospitals. But 
Well, and also, like, being found in Philly, like, just to going back to, like, the people from surrounding states mm-hmm. trying to come and identify him, like, that's, like, a major transportation hub right. even in the 50s. So, like, it would have very, like, it could be potentially very easy to smuggle in a kid or right. some, you know, cross state lines with a kid yeah. or something like that. So not he could necessarily be from wherever, really. And it sounds like whoever had him he might have had him for like a long time because he was malnourished mm-hmm. or right like or this s- isn't like a, a kidnapping situation where unless they'd had him for a while like i guess yeah. i guess it could be a kidnapping situation like yeah. an elizabeth smart type where they have her for like years so the fbi became involved and orphanages doctors hospitals and dental facilities were contacted from all over the country which still led to no leads and there was no missing persons reports mas- matching the boy. 207, 270 police academy recruits combed the crime scene near where his body was found. No usable fingerprints were found at the scene. A handkerchief was found that had a G in the corner, as well as a dead cat wrapped in a man's sweater. A tan child scarf and a boy's yellow flannel shirt were also recovered. Investigators determined that the shirt did match the boy's size. A child's pair of black shoes were also found. However, they did not fit the boy. An Ivy League style cap made of blue corduroy with a leather strap and buckle across the back was also found. They determined that the cap was made in a South Philadelphia shop called Robin's Bald Eagle Hat and Cap Company. The store owner, Hannah Robbins, told the authorities that the cap had been made from remnants of corduroy at some point prior to May 1956. The man that bought the hat had returned several months later later to have the leather strap and buckle sewed on. He was described as blonde-haired and in his late 20s to early 30s. Hannah thought that the man looked like the photographs authorities had shown her of the boy, like, resembled. Mm-hmm. Um... However, the man has never been identified, and there was never even a sketch done of the man for reference, which I think is pretty pretty crazy, but mm. so we don't really have anything to go off of, like, based on her description, except for, like, that basic, that he kind of looked like the boy, he was light-haired, and, like, 20s to 30s. Mm-hmm. So, um... Authorities tried running an article describing the boy's surgical scars, but got no response, they did some research on the box that the boy was in. I mentioned before that it was a J.C. Penny box. They figured out that the box originally held a baby's white bassinet, and it had the serial number and shipment details on it, allowing them to track down the, ex- the exact store it was sold at. Eleven of these bassinets had been sold for seven fifty a piece at the Upper Darby J.C. Penny. Also, seven fifty for a whole bassinet. Jeez. That's wild to think about i mean yeah like people were making a lot less money but still 750 that's my starbucks coffee <laughs> down with capitalism <laughs> right so authorities actually did manage to track down nine of the 11 buyers but still no leads the blanket was examined by philadelphia textile institute and it was believed that the blanket was made in granby quebec canada or in swananoa North Carolina, USA. But there's no way to tell where the blanket was purchased since thousands of these blankets were shipped across the U.S. and Canada. It makes me think, like, if they would have had a sketch of that guy going into the store, Mm -hmm. then maybe 
they could compare that sketch to one of the people who bought a bassinet. And right. Maybe that there could have been some connection in some familial relate like resemblance. Right. Like, I mean, of course, I mean, although it was only nine of the 11, but of course they're not going to be like, yeah, it was me that stuffed the boy in the box and whatever right. they did to him. But yeah, like you said, if there was a sketch, maybe there could be some connection in a way, or even if there was a sketch circulated around, maybe somebody would recognize the person mm-hmm. in said sketch. Mm-hmm. You never know. So, uh, one piece of information about the blanket was that it had been mended using a poor grade cotton thread. It had also recently been washed. As time went on, leads started coming in less frequently and the case got colder. On January 24th, 1958, just under a year after he was found, the boy was buried in a potter's field, which is a place for burial of the unclaimed or unknown. Mm -hmm. His burial and funeral was funded by the detectives who had been working on the case, which, yeah, I thought that was sweet. Um, In 1998, uh, well, apparently, like, the detectives who helped on the case, like, really got, like, like, very invested in, like, because, I mean, like, a lot of them had kids of their own, like, Mm -hmm. finding this little child who nobody's going to claim him. Like, that's so, so sad. It's, like... Yeah. It's just like a life that's just like thrown away and you have like nobody claiming him and yeah. that's just very sad. Like yeah. who was this boy? Who was his family? Like yeah. very sad. Very, very sad. sad. So in 1998, his body was exhumed for DNA extraction, which was gathered from his teeth in the hopes that new technology could help them figure out who the boy was he was then reburied in a donated plot at Abbey Hill Cemetery in Cedarbrook, Philadelphia. The coffin and headstone plus the funeral service costs were donated by the son of a man who had paid to bury, bury the boy in 1957. So one of the detective's sons oh. actually paid for a head, or like a real headstone. Because I think before it was just like a little plaque. Mm-hmm. And then he paid for like a real headstone and nice coffin oh. and all of that, which I thought was really sweet. The reburial gained a lot of a lot of public attendance and media coverage. The grave says America's unknown child. People keep the de- the grave decorated with flowers and stuffed animals. On March 21st, 2016, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children released a forensic facial reconstruction of the boy. Yeah, the pi- the pictures uh that were sent out on the flyers of the boy. He reminds me, like, he reminds me of my little brother a little bit. Mm. That's sad. I also know that, like, his, the reburial and, like, his death in general, he became, you know, a symbol for all the lost, like, children. Right, because there's so, I mean, there's so many more than just, and not even just, like, unsolved, like, homicide cases, but also just, like, missing children in general. Mm -hmm. Like, the amount is pretty crazy yeah uh the vid vidoc society hosts a memorial service every year for the boy they're a group of independent investigators and they say advances in dna technology are helping them in their quest to find out what happened in april of this year actually an article rele- was released in cbs discussing a possible break in the case Philadelphia homicide detectives stated that two years prior, they got an order to exhume the remains of the boy in the box. 
They were able to retrieve DNA that was sent to a lab in Europe, which has now allegedly given them their biggest break yet. They say they now have a DNA profile, with which they hope leads them to family members of the boy. Mm-hmm. Actually, Barbara Ray Venter, a genetic genealogist who is best known for her work in solving the Golden State Killer case, yes. is working to try and identify the boy in the box. And there's hope that his DNA profile will get a hit against a familial match in one of the ancestral databases the same way it did for the Golden State Killer. Okay. So I'm really hoping that that leads to something. Mm-hmm. But this case has remained unsolved for 64 years. There are, however, several theories about what may have happened to the boy. So I'm going to go into those next. Okay. The first theory is around a possible foster home. I've seen several articles suggest that a psychic was the one who uncovered this theory and told a man named Remington Bristow about it. Remington Bristow was a medical examiner who relentlessly pursued answers in the case until his death in 1993. He allegedly contacted a New Jersey psychic who he took to the site where they found the body. The psychic then had a vision of a home which led them to a foster home located approximately a mile and a half from the location of the body. The family who owned the home had already been interviewed by the police. And eventually, down the line, the estate was up for sale and Bristow actually attended and he found a white bassinet that he believed could have been the same one from the J.C. Penny box that the boy was found in. Mm. He also allegedly saw several blankets hanging on a clothesline that were similar to the blanket that the boy was wrapped in. He suspected that the little boy had lived in the foster home and had killed, been killed by someone in the home, either intentionally or accidentally. Or maybe he even could have been an illegitimate child of the daughter of the foster family and that she, like, abandoned the child pretty much. So after Bristow died, Detective Tom Augustine took up the case. In 1998, Detective Augustine and several members of Vidoc, I don't know how to say, Vidoc Society went to the home of Arthur Nicoletti, who had been the head of the foster home, and his wife, Anna Marie. Now, wait, here's, here's my question. Mm-hmm. If she was going to abandon him, right, and he's, like, between four and six years mm-hmm. old, if she was going to abandon him, why wouldn't she just do it when he was a newborn? Like, well, why I think, wouldn't she just, like... I think more so what they're saying is, like, as a cover-up, because, like, the dad got the daughter pregnant, that they said he was just another one of the foster kids they probably hid the pregnancy and then were like this is just another one of the foster kids like it's not her kids obviously they don't want anybody to know that the dad got the daughter pregnant Uh, okay but a little bit more comes out about this okay so they're they go to the home of arthur nicoletti who uh led the foster home and he's married to his wife anna marie They found out that Bristow was right about Anna Marie having an illegitimate child. Not only that, but Anna Marie was the stepdaughter of Arthur Nicoletti, not just his wife. Oh. Mm, Scandal. So. That's called. Disgusting. Incest. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to think of something more clever. That's called disgusting. That's called gross. Yeah. So Anna Marie told Augustine that she did have a little boy who had passed away in an odd way. Her son had been electrocuted by a nickel ride outside a store. So, like, one of those little rides outside the grocery store that you put a nickel in and, like... 
apparently he had been electrocuted by it. Oh, God. Yeah, which is That's crazy. horrific. Yeah. But if he was electrocuted outside of a store, then wouldn't somebody have already seen, wouldn't have someone seen what it happened? Right. Yeah, so I'm sure this was all, like, tracked down, because DNA was taken from both, and it ruled out any relation to the boy in the box. Oh, okay. Um, but people still suspect that the boy could have been one of their foster children, although there was, although there was no record of him being there through social services, but you never know. Like, I feel like back then, like, people dropped kids off at doorsteps all the time, and there wasn't, like, always a record of things, like, church doorsteps, foster home doorsteps, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, there's still, um, in many states, there are still <laughs> laws that protect people who have children and don't want them and then Mm -hmm. you leave them at a fire station right yeah 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 even i don't know if it's in america or in another country there's like baby drop boxes because the problem yeah they are like it's literally like you open the box from one side put the baby in and it's like heated and stuff like to keep the baby safe and then Mm -hmm. they open the other side and bring the baby inside yeah like you like ring and then you Mm -hmm. can go yep Wow. Yeah, they're here. Also, like, with that, uh, those services give the mother, I think they give mm-hmm. them, like, 72 hours to actually think about their decision right. before the child starts being put into the system. Right. Um, they're like, okay, we'll give you, like, this grace period to, like, really think about it. Yeah. I mean, I'd rather see that being done than, like, because we've seen cases of, like, babies being put in dumpsters and, like, who knows what else. So, the... The next theory is the woman known as M. So in February 2002, another theory came to light when a psychiatrist from Cincinnati, Ohio, contacted Detective Augustine and told him that one of her patients, who is often known as M or Martha, had insisted on speaking to the police. Martha had told her psychiatrist that in 1954, when she was 11, her mother took her to a house where she gave money, gave a man money to purchase a little boy. Martha said that she had been sexually abused by her mother and the mother would do the same to this little boy that she had bought and that her mother had sexually, psychologically and physically abused the little boy up until his death. She said that he was around three when he was purchased He was forced to live in the basement and he was only fed every so often to keep him alive. Martha told the psychiatrist that the little boy had been killed after her mother had beat him to death by slamming his head and body against the floor after he vomited up baked beans after dinner one night. Mm. Sorry, this is giving me very like Sylvia-like vibes. Yeah, yeah, it is. The mother put him in the bathtub while he was unconscious to clean him, but he passed away from his injuries while in the tub. She told them that the boy was named Jonathan and explained that his hair had been cut after his death because it was long and very, like, distinctive. So, like, they cut it to try to, like, make him less noticeable. Mm -hmm. Uh, All three detectives that Martha spoke to were convinced that this could be the boy in the box. Martha's mother, Martha said that her mother after this, then drove her and the boy's body to Philadelphia to dispose of his remains, and Martha said she was forced to help. They pulled off to the side of the road, and a man pulled over beside them, asking if they needed help or if they were having car troubles. After they told him no, the man drove away. The police seemingly confirmed a man had come forward and gave a similar account, but... Because Martha had a history of mental health problems, no solid evidence to back up the story, 
and previous neighbors who claimed they visited the home said they never saw a sign of the boy. The detectives dropped the lead. They just dropped it. Yeah. That's what it looks like. Great. Like, and I feel like this was the most... Tax dollars working really hard Right. And I feel like this was the... That was the most promising lead thus far. Like, she had... I mean, the details down. Like, yeah, she had a history of mental health problems, but she really came up with the whole story. And then a a man actually came forward and said that something similar had happened. Like, he stopped to help two women with possible car troubles. Like, I... In my opinion, that's, like... The, I think that's the theory that I believe the, the most. most. plausible. Right. Like, the, this woman just made all this up. Like, no. down to... Because I don't even know if it was released about the brown um, residue found that what they thought, they thought was vomit. Yeah, I was going to say, probably not. Because right. they... In these types of cases, they talk about the outward appearance and mm-hmm. not so much about, like what is going on on right because that might then lead to um that might like fuck up the case right like they like to keep things that only the the killer would know Mm -hmm. in the dark so that way they can use it as like evidence or whatever it might like they could ask about it but yeah like i don't think they would said that and she literally said that the boy the reason he was killed is because he vomited up baked beans and that sounds plausible there's also a theory that, and it could be tied into this previous one, because like I said, neighbors said that they had never seen a little boy. Um, there's a theory that he could have possibly be, been raised as a girl. They believe this because uh, of the long hair being cut off. Allegedly, his his eyebrows seem to have been tweezed to appear more feminine. And it said that this could be why the neighbors didn't see a little boy running around. However, if this was a case, I think the neighbors probably would have mentioned, but we did see a little girl. But it said that, like, maybe Martha's mother passed it off as, like, one of her daughter's friends or something. I don't know. It's just a theory that people have. Well, they dropped it, so I guess we'll never really know. Right. Unless uh, DNA pulls through and connects it to, like, where's Martha now? Can we do a little one-two? Okay, so the next theory uh, comes into play in 2016. Writers Lou Romano and Jim Hoffman thought they discovered a possible link to Memphis, Tennessee. The DNA from the boy was tested in comparison to an alleged family member they had found in Memphis. This lead came from a man in Philadelphia. And this goes back to December 2013 when Romano had helped the man from Philadelphia hunt down the family member and personally obtained DNA from the suspected family member in Memphis. The local authorities said they would need to do more in-depth research on the circumstances surrounding the link to Memphis before they submitted the DNA for comparison in their labs. Uh, But there has been no further information on whether or not the DNA was submitted, nor if the DNA submitted had been compared to the family in Memphis. This man from Philadelphia that had brought the lead into attention is said that his family once rented out a place to a man who sold his son. This led to a pathologist, Dr. Greg McDonald, uh, looking at photos of the father who had apparently sold his son. Dr. McDonald noted that there were similarities between the two, but there would need to be further testing done. And the doctor also noted that the facial, facial structure, helix of the right ear and nose were similar to the boy in the box. A DNA sample was taken from the young man believed to be the brother of the child sold. 
And this is where um, there's no further information after that. Mm -hmm. So that's how they kind of made the ties is. And there wasn't a lot of detail on why they thought these were the family members. But and the man who brought the lead hasn't been identified or as to why he knew. Mm -hmm. But like, I don't know, maybe he knew people in Memphis and they had said something about possibly having a connection or something like that. That's pretty much, that's one of the, the more uh, loose theories that I found that didn't really, it didn't really strike me as that plausible. The next theory is the Dudleys. So Kenneth Dudley and his wife, Adele Irene Dudley, had 10 children together. Kenneth was a carnival worker. In 1961, an investigation was launched into the family when their seven-year-old daughter turned up dead for malnutrition and neglect. They didn't bury her. Instead, they wrapped her in a blanket and placed her in the woods just off Route 1. They murdered seven of their children through neglect and abuse, and none were given a proper burial by them. They were all dumped or thrown in rivers. Kenneth said, Kenneth was said to have beaten the children in fits of anger. Irene was also known to, have, to abuse and neglect the children. However, they were eventually ruled out as the parents of the boy as the bodies of their seven children were eventually recovered. In defense of that, like, in, like, carnival work life, you're traveling around all the time, like, who knows? It could have not been a biological child. Mm -hmm. Child. It does match up in the sense of, like, wrapping in a blanket, leaving in the woods, um, the abuse, malnutrition, things like that. Mm -hmm. But I still, I still lean towards uh martha martha's story yeah but i can see how this comparison would come up because there's a lot of factors in it that seem to be a pattern yeah absolutely those are the all the main theories on the boy in the box case like i said it's remained unsolved for 64 years but it does seem that dna um analysis and the uh connections are getting closer and closer mm -hmm. so hopefully one day we will see at least maybe a family member connection somebody who yeah. can know that uh they were related to this boy and maybe just i mean just knowing that somebody out there cares about him mm -hmm. well like I, I mean obviously like all of america like kind of cares about him at this point sure it's such um an infamous case mm -hmm. but just having that like f family connection would be nice to know that like yeah there's kind of some like i don't know closure on the case and he's not just like alone in the world it's sad yeah it is really sad and he's so cute so cute yeah and we'll put we'll pick put pictures up yeah. on the instagram that have that has the original flyer of him mm -hmm. um and of course like the reconstructed versions as well yeah um i mean yeah it's like no, no child deserves no. to die in such, like, a brutal way. And especially no. because it seems like the abuse was going on for a long yeah. time. It seems like he just lived a terrible life and then just and got thrown away like trash. Yeah, it's really, it's really, like, heartbreaking to wrap your head around. Mm -hmm. I just hope that, like I said, one day, hopefully soon... DNA leads to at least some kind of connection because I'm sure it's it seems like possibly whoever did this to him could be I, don't still know, I guess alive. They, I guess they could be still alive oh very they'd be very old though probably yeah because if they were in their mid-20s to late 
thirties. So the 50s. probably that would probably be like ninety late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. yeah. But again, like, you know, we've talked about before like deathbed confessions, like maybe we'll get one of those. Or, yeah. Or maybe when someone is is cleaning out their loved ones you know, house or something, they'll find a diary right. where where it's Well, I mean we have those. Martha. Do have Martha. But like I wonder where she is now. And like like has this been reinvestigated? Like Yeah, she just she knows like she just knows too much about the case that right. was not released to the public. Right. And I just don't understand why they didn't investigate her further. I don't know. But that is definitely the theory that I cling to the most. With that one, I mean, obviously he was beaten, so it's like, how far do you actually take it being being that accidental of a death? Mm-hmm. But, you know, obviously they they didn't want to, like, kill him. Right. Um, yeah. It's very sad. And that's, I mean, that's the case of the boy in the box. Well, you did a very good job. Thanks. I'm really sad now. I know. And we're going to go into another sad episode. Thanks for that. I really appreciate it. <laughs> but do you want to do a little palate cleanser in between and we can talk about yeah. something nice we that can, we watched? We can or do that. listen to or anything? <laughs> anything positive? Anything at all. Anything. anything at all. Dune, when we're recording this, Dune just came out on HBO Max like two weeks ago. Mm. And it is very good it's visually very stunning Mm -hmm. and i never read the book but now i really want to read the book because it seems like it would be right up my alley right um i think that it was casted i mean again this is like from a someone who didn't actually read the book but i think right the way it was cast was perfect Mm -hmm. or just about perfect um is this the one with zendaya in it yeah um or as i like to call the movie uh an advertisement for Zendaya's perfume line for <laughs> two and a half hours. <laughs> because in the first movie, she's only in the movie for seven minutes. Right. And I'm like, ah, rude. Okay. Um, but, I mean, the world building is just so stunning. It's mm. it's really great. 10 out of 10. Would absolutely recommend for cool. sure. Cool. What about you? Um, mine is, I just actually started watching it yesterday. It's a reality show, new on Amazon Prime. It's called Tampa Bay's. <gasps> I yeah. saw it. Yeah. yeah. Is it good? Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's a reality show. It gives me very like, like not as extreme, but like Jersey Shore type vibes. Cause it's like a group of, um, lesbians and they're <clears throat> just like having parties and having fun and have the drama and the who's dating who and like all this it's it's fun especially because like i feel like there haven't there haven't been many like um very like lgbt plus like focused reality shows like that so yeah it's fun to watch and like have that representation and yeah i mean like it seems like to me the way that they're marketing it is like yes if, like yes they're all lesbians mm-hmm. but like that's not like the main focus right. of the show it's right. about more about their relationships with each other right um, which I find very fascinating. It's 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 fun to watch. It's like, I mean, it's very it's dramatic, but that's it's fun. Well, representation matters, right? With all that being said, Ray, would you like to tell the people where they can find us? Yes, the Midnight Record on TikTok and Instagram at TMR Pod on Twitter and the Midnight Record at Gmail dot com. 
Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on all of your favorite social media and podcast listening platforms. It really means the world to us, and we really should compile, like, some of our, like, favorite reviews Mm -hmm. sometime to do. I think I've shared, like, one or two on our Instagram, but Mm -hmm. I should do that more often. So if you write us a review... You might. You might get shared. Um, but we do really appreciate the support and yeah. uh, all the love. So it makes me, it makes that. me really happy yeah. when we get like sweet comments. Like I like, yeah. it makes my heart warm. I know. Like I'm like, thanks. Like it just, it just makes, it's, it's nice to hear Cause like we put a lot of work into this. So like, it's nice to hear that people appreciate what we're doing, what we're talking about, the way we're discussing uh, such sensitive topics. Yeah. It's nice to hear. Yeah, it's it, it feels really good. So we really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. And I guess until next time. I'll see you at midnight. I'll see you at midnight. Woohoo! Woo! Woo-hoo! 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 Rock on! <laughs>